My name is Padraig Otuma and poetry and conflict have always had a lot in common for me. I grew up with a lot of conflict and lived in a lot of conflict and worked in a lot of conflict. And poetry has always taught me how to choose words carefully, how to choose words simply and to imagine that words have power to create or destroy. One Tree by Philip Metris They wanted to tear down the tulip tree, our neighbours, last year. It throws a shadow over their vegetable patch, the only tree in our backyard. We said no. Now they've hired someone to chainsaw an arm, the crocs on our side of the fence, and my wife, in tousled hair and morning sweat, marches to stop the carnage mid-limb. It reminds her of her childhood home, a shady place to hide. She recites her litany of no returns. Minutes later, the neighbours emerge. The worker points to our unblinded window. I want to say, it's not me. Slide out of view behind a wall of cupboards, ominous breakfast tables, steam of tea, our two young daughters now alone. I want no trouble. Must I fight for my wife's desire for yellow blooms when my neighbour's tomatoes will stunt and blight in shade? Always the same story. Two people, one tree, not enough land or light or love. Like the baby brought to Solomon, someone must give. Dear neighbour, it's not me. Bloom shadowed, light deprived. They lowered the chainsaw again. I love this poem because it feels like two parts of my world have come together. I think the interests in my whole life have always been religion, conflict and poetry. And where preferable, I like um, poetry about conflict and religion. And this poem is so brilliant in terms of how it describes the escalation of conflict. All my training initially in conflict mediation was about mediating neighbour to neighbour conflicts because it's such an intimate place where a person finds their home. And it can be about a fence. It can be about a tree going over a fence. It can be about noise. It can be about a dog. It can be about your kids. It can be about so much. But neighbour-neighbour conflicts are really, really tense and intimate. And what seems simple sometimes goes very, very deep. And this is a classic example of what seems simple going so very, very deep. So the brilliant thing about this poem is that it isn't just side A and side B. It's not just this this household thinks one way and the other household thinks the other way about this particular tree. Um, his wife, he describes her in tousled hair and morning sweat, marches to stop the carnage mid-limb. She is um, so clear what she thinks. She's magnificent. And the neighbours seem to have, they seem to feel strongly, but they brought in a worker to do the work. But the worker is just referring back to the neighbours. And it seems like at the end that the chainsaw lowers again. But he just wants to hide. He doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with this feeling that his wife has about the memories that she associates from her childhood with this particular tree in the backyard. 
and he isn't helping her. He isn't necessarily taking the side of the neighbours either. He seems to feel in between, perhaps literally on the fence to describe this. But the poem and why it's so brilliant as a poem is that it's frustrating. It leaves you without knowing what's going to happen. I think of like that classic form of short story called parable. So often I hear parable spoken about really poorly because parable, this is speaking in the context of theology, parable typically is a short story that doesn't come to an easy ending. A short story that leaves all kinds of tendrils at the end and you're thinking, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? It's an irritant. It's meant to get under your skin and cause you to think in the moment rather than something that says, here's how you live your life in a nice, neat package. And this poem is a parable in the truest sense of the word in that it gets under the skin. You feel these caricatures coming towards you. The worker, the neighbours, the spouse, the poet, the children, everything involved, the the history that somebody has invested into a tree, the future that somebody's invested into the possibility of tomatoes growing, everything's all there and there's a tree there and there's a fence, what's going to go on? And you're just left with all that in front of you. It's almost like a Garden of Eden story, this poem, except this Garden of Eden has neighbours and frustrations and in it there's these archetypes of people trying to figure out how the hell do we live near each other in a way that we live well and don't have to feel like we've got to tame ourselves down. And there's a throwaway line toward the end of this poem about Solomon, the wise king in the Hebrew Bible, where two people who were arguing about the parentage of a baby brought their case to Solomon. So these two women came with a baby, each saying that they were the mother of the child. And the king said, cut the baby in half. It's a brutal story. And the one who immediately recanted and said, no, no, no. OK, so the other one should take the baby. Solomon said, well, you're clearly the mother of that child because only a mother of the child would be willing to not see their child in order that the child survives. And it's a brutal parable because it shows the levels at which violence runs deep in us and the depth of fighting that we can find in our imaginations and in ourselves and the places that we're brought to in the midst of conflict. What conflict reveals about what's possible in us can sometimes arrest us with serious worry. One of the things that Philip Metris is doing in this poem is showing that conflict isn't just about two sides, that conflict always has many sides and that a side that might be perceived as monolithic probably has internal divisions and that the other side similarly has its own sophistications. There's always going to be somebody who doesn't like conflict who was caught up in conflict. That might be lots of people. Some people love it, some people hate it. We've got this line in the poem, Dear Neighbour, It's Not Me. And the setting for this poem is land, just the land of two neighbours right next door to each other, probably not enormous amounts of land. But that as a metaphor is really part of the area that Philip Metris as a poet is profoundly interested in. This book, Shrapnel Maps, concerns itself trying to put forward poems that involve Israel and Palestine in a way where he isn't pretending that there's a neutral middle, but that he is imagining that coming from one particular point of view, he can hold a standard of integrity up to himself where he isn't caricaturing people who might be perceived to be on the other side. And that, I think, is uh, so brave. 
as soon as he speaks about land, I think of Ireland, I think of Cyprus, I think of Israel and Palestine. I think of so many places around the world where there's a border put down like a big fence and people are trying to figure out what does it mean to live near that fence right now? Where I am now, I'm in County Fermanagh and I'm half a mile from the county bounds with County Donegal. And for the last hundred years, these have been considered in two different jurisdictions, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. I don't like those classifications, but that border has been powerful, whether I like it or not. And I look at that border every time I pass it when I'm out for a walk. And I just find myself constantly thinking about how somebody's imagination about a line on a map has done so much over the last hundred years. And so this poem brings out the fact that conflicts um, will go so deep and won't be resolved easily with a question about what to do. And that sometimes the imagination of one about how it can be resolved sparks off so many more conflicts in the imagination of the other. And that a deep amount of collaboration and with that comes trust and imagination and creativity all of those things are needed to imagine something in the future where cohabiting side by side in land that borders each other or in land that's shared can be something that's fruitful for all. This is the opening poem in a book, Shrapnel Naps. And one of the things that's brilliant about having this as the opening poem in the book is that conflict often surprises people. Everything's fine until it isn't. And it's not like you get a memo to prepare you to be dropped into conflict with your neighbour and the fact that that conflict will open up conflict between you and your spouse or you and whoever you live with. Suddenly it's happened and you're there and so much is already happening at the wrong time and you're trying to figure out what happened and what do I do now? And all of these things feel like they're pressuring you, bullying you in terms of trying to figure out what's my response and how can I have the right kind of conversations with people. Some people will respond intuitively, some people will want space and then you're having conflict about conflict and conflict about conflict styles and all of that can feel like it's getting very loud and some people can surf that loudness and find creativity in it and other people feel the need to step back. Neither of those is better than the other but conflict can often feel remarkably inconvenient. One of the really interesting things that this poem does is while frustrating us, it has this line, always the same story, two people, one tree, not enough land or light or love. And those three words beginning with L, land, light, love. There's the imagination that we can expand land. Some people try and that works or doesn't. Or light, can we increase light? I suppose we can artificially. But the thing that we can do something about is this word love. What does it mean to imagine that there might be love in between people who are fighting about a tree? And that isn't meant to sound like a daisy chain. This is meant to sound as muscular and demanding as love is. Love is one of the most difficult things to do in human community. But yet in politics and conflict resolution, love is often left out of the conversation because it seems like either airy-fairy or impossible. And I like the imagination that he has here to point out that there does need to be a practice of love in the context of this small conflict that he's imagining between two neighbours. What does love look like? And not just between neighbour A and neighbour B. What does love look like in a household that suddenly does seem like it's ripped apart between one spouse who wants to go out and defend the tree and other spouse who wants to hide in a corner and say it's not about me and then these children that are in their care? 
What's love going to look like there? What's love going to look like in the context of people who disagree with each other? Never mind that household then in conversation with another household who disagree with them. And in the midst of all this, you're still left within the present moment about how, no matter what the past is, do we speak to each other now? One Tree by Philip Metris They wanted to tear down the tulip tree, our neighbours, last year. It throws a shadow over their vegetable patch, the only tree in our backyard. We said no. Now they've hired someone to chainsaw an arm that crocks on our side of the fence, and my wife, in tousled hair and morning sweat, marches to stop the carnage mid-limb. It reminds her of her childhood home, a shady place to hide. She recites her litany of no, returns. Minutes later, the neighbours emerge. The worker points to our unblinded window. I want to say, it's not me. Slide out of view behind a wall of cupboards, ominous breakfast table, steam of tea, our two young daughters now alone. I want no trouble. Must I fight for my wife's desire for yellow blooms when my neighbour's tomatoes will stunt and blight in shade? Always the same story. Two people, one tree, not enough land or light or love. Like the baby brought to Solomon, someone must give. Dear neighbour, it's not me. Bloom shadowed, light deprived. They lowered the chainsaw again. One Tree comes from Philip Metris's book, Shrapnel Maps. Thank you to the Permissions Company on behalf of Copper Canyon Press, who gave us permission to use Philip's poem. Read it on our website at onbeing.org. Poetry Unbound is Chris Hegel, Aaron Kalasako, Siri Grassley, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Christiane Wartell, Gotham Shrikishan, Karen Navar Wiki. Karen Towie, Suarisa, and me, Lily Percy. Our music is composed and provided by Gautam Shrikishan and Blue Dot Sessions. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios, which is located on Dakota land. We also produce other podcasts you might enjoy, like On Being with Krista Tippett, Becoming Wise, and This Movie Changed Me. Find those wherever you like to listen. And if you want even more Podrick and poetry in your life, visit us at onbeing.org where we've recently launched an entirely new way to experience poetry. Listen, watch, or read hundreds of poems from our collection. This podcast is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.